and kind of illustrated as, as Brandon was sharing this morning, he, he mentioned about he, he was, uh, there are certain things in life he hates, you know, as we think about Jesus, Jesus hated sin, and Brandon hated hanging the green, so he's got some ways to go, but uh, God wants us to, to continue to walk with him. Well, this morning we have a challenge because uh, probably about two years ago, we had an extended uh, series in the, the book of First John. It was our fall focus, and we spent 12 weeks studying this little book, only five chapters long. And today, the goal is to study this entire book in one Sunday. So I'm really challenged to speak faster than I normally do. So you're going to listen quicker than you normally do, and we're going to get through this book in rapid fashion. God has a lot for us out of his word, and uh, let's just look at him one more time as we just ask him to speak to us. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you've called us to live for you, and as Brandon was sharing, that you want to transform us, change us, so that we can love people into the kingdom. And Father, we just ask that you might uh, do that in our lives first as we uh, seek to, to uh, know you deeply and then help others know as well. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Do you ever feel like you're out of the loop somehow? Uh, everybody else is in the know, but you're not in the know. I was reading about uh, this experience this person had with someone in the hospital, and it was, it was a Mr. Norton. Mr. Norton was the hospital, and uh, he called. There was a person called into the particular hospital in which he was there and asked the head nurse, how's he doing? And she replied back, well, very good. In fact, we hope to release him this morning. And she, then she said, well, can you can you just tell me who you are, who's calling, so I can let Mr. Norton know? He said, well, this is Mr. Norton, and the doctors won't tell me anything. <laughs> and, and sometimes that's how we feel, that somehow we're, we're missing it, we're, we're not quite getting it. I was reading a comment by Ed, Edward Murrow after the Vietnam War, actually during the Vietnam War, for those of us who remember that time, remember uh, there were so many things going on, why we were there, and how long we were going to be there, and how we were going to get out of there. And he made this comment, he said, if you're not confused about the war then you don't understand anything about the war. And sometimes people look at, at Christianity that way. They go, it, it's, it seems so confusing. This whole thing about faith and religion and church and God and Jesus. So many people say so many things. How are we supposed to put that together? How do I know if I'm in the know? How do I know if I'm, I've really got the real uh, truth for my life? Well, this morning, th this is what we're going to see as we see John speaking as he begins to look at his life and seeing that his time on this earth is soon to pass. And, and he wants to give his parting shots. Just like Peter did in the last couple letters that we looked at, John wanted people to, to know that they, they really knew what it was all about, that they weren't confused. That if somehow, if they were to take a test, a heavenly test, and they were standing before God, and he had three questions for them, uh, they could answer uh, the right way. Whenever you're in a school situation, particularly if you're concerned about what kind of grade you're going to get, or even if you're just going to pass uh, that particular course, you need to decide right from the very beginning. It's not what you think is important during that, that uh, course of, of study. It's, it's what the teacher think is, thinks is important. At least in terms of a passion, the great, you've you got to find out what they think is most important for you to know. Well, that's really why God has given this book, 66 books uh, in its entirety, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. But each one just unfolds for us the key truths that we need to know. So this morning, and this is always my goal, whenever I had a new professor, a new teacher, I always wanted to know what was important to him. And even more strategic, I wanted to know what was on the test. Well, we know what's going to be on the test as we stand before God when this life is over. 
And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John, or you can look in your outline. I, I put some the, the key passage there. There's some other additional passages that we'll maybe, Lord willing, have opportunity to read. But he really puts it down pretty simply. There, there are three tests that we need to take, and we can take it before the exam actually happens when we stand before God. In fact, he wants us to take that test now. And it's the doctrinal test, it's the moral test, and it's the love test. And we need to pass all these three if we're really going to have a confidence that, that we, when we stand before God that, that we're going to enter into that place He's prepared for those who, who really, really know Him. It's what you believe, the doctrinal test. It's the moral test, and it's the, it's the love test. What is it that God really wants us to believe? What, what is it that God really wants us to know? What is it God really wants you to be convinced of? What's, what's the content of our faith? See, faith is used in two different ways. It's used like a verb, and it's also used like a noun. It, it, it's used like a verb in the sense of, you know, who are you trusting in, or what are you trusting in? And, and some people, when they put all their confidence in that, they say, well, I don't care what you believe as long as you... Let's say it all together. I don't care what you believe as long as you believe. Now, that's great because I think it's, it's really important for people to believe in life. You, know, you, you need to believe in, in, um, in, your, in your country. You need to believe in, in, in your neighborhood. You need to believe in the people around you. You need to believe in your family. You need, all those kind of things. But as it relates to God, it's not just a matter of believing. It's who you believe in. And, and that's how belief is not only used as a, as a verb, but also as a noun. It's the content of your faith. And it's really true. Your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. If I were to say every one of these chairs are sturdy enough to hold you up the entire service, that's great, except for one. And I strategically, during workday, unloosen all four, you know, all four parts of those chairs. And during this, during this service, one of you is going to hit the ground. Now, as much as you had faith that you were going to stay up on that seat or sit in that seat the entire hour... It would only be good as the sturdiness of that chair. So what is it that God, content-wise, wants you to believe? Well, let's, let's look at a few things this morning. First of all, and I put this kind of as a summary statement. You, you need to believe there is such a thing as truth. And that's kind of what I've already introduced this morning. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, John writes, We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Some things are true and some things are false. And we talked about that last Lord's Day. See, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe unless there is such a thing as absolute truth. Uh, Mark Deaver, I was reading a, a, um, one of his books this past week and he made this comment, which I thought was very, very insightful. He, he said, you know, really the, the challenge for Christianity is, is really not the the onslaught of people who are uh, agnostic or atheists, who don't believe. He said this, The real danger is not unbelief, but wrong belief. Not irreligion, but heresy. Not the doubter, but the deceiver. We need to be very careful about not only what we do believe, but what we don't believe. And so God is very concerned that you know truth is crucial. And Jesus said, truth is found in a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in case you don't think this is very important, he said, no one gets to the Father but through me. 
So first of all, the doctrinal test. Do you believe there is such a thing as truth, absolute truth? And then we basically got the Jesus test in terms of, again, the, what is it that you truly believe? And, and John hits it this way. He first of all says this, do you believe Jesus truly was a man? Uh, listen at the very beginning of his, his letter, 1 John 1, 1 through 3. He says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. And it's interesting, he uses editorial we. Do you ever do that sometimes? You just say, we are all doing this, and, you know, who's the we, okay? And you could actually said, he could have said I. The things I have heard, the things I have seen, the things I have touched with my hands. He had personal experience here. And of handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Let me read one other section that relates to this. First John 4, 1 through 3. He writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out in the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And you're thinking, well, what's the big deal here? Most of us in 21st century world believe there was a, there's a person named Jesus who lived a couple thousand years ago, and he, he was a man. But see, the issue back then was not so much about where did he come from, but what, what he was when he was here. And, and they couldn't imagine that God actually could take on a human form. And so they actually denied the humanity of Jesus. Now, again, what's so crucial about that, if Jesus wasn't a man, then he truly couldn't have died on the cross for you. He couldn't have paid the penalty for your sins. He couldn't have been in your place. And so this part that we normally don't think a whole lot about, but is so crucial, you've got to believe that there truly was a Jesus that was here in the flesh. He was truly a man. Now, he was the perfect man, but he truly came here. Otherwise, who died on that cross? In fact, those who sometimes wrestle with Jesus, they believe that, that Jesus was an amazing prophet, but somehow someone got substituted for him when he got on the cross because how could a great prophet or man be put on the cross? Some believe in terms they've, they've done, you know, on the street interviews. Who do you believe Jesus is? He's some great source of energy. Look, Jesus... Jesus was here. God invaded history and took on the form of man. Christmas has significance. Jesus was born of a virgin in the manger. He was the one who came to die. This is real stuff. This is not some make-believe things up here. The doctrinal test. Do you believe there's such a thing as absolute truth? Do you believe that Jesus truly was a man. Secondly, and this is the part most people wrestle with today, do you believe that Jesus truly was God? First uh, John 4, verses 14 and 15 says this, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. Now, we have been... Uh, Announced, we didn't announce it today, but we're going to have a uh, membership class in a couple weeks, in December, on December 11th. I think Brandon's kid uh, 
that you can come to that class and, and try to somehow stump me. And you, that happens often in that class. People ask me questions I have not great answers for. But I also turn the tables around a little bit, and sometimes I ask people in the class questions. And, and I ask sometimes people this question, who is Jesus? And hopefully, you know, that's a pretty basic question as far as people want to find out more about who we are, is to answer that, who is Jesus? And the answer often is a very correct biblical response. Jesus is the son of God. But then I follow that question up, well, well what does that mean? And that's often what I get, silence. <laughs> I mean, we know the answer, but we know that the, the, the definition of the answer, or the reason behind the answer, Jesus is the Son of God, what does that mean? Well, the answer is that means he is truly and fully God. He is of the same substance or essence as God the Father. Just as well as in human form, my sons are just as human as I am. They are my sons, and just like I am the son of my uh, earthly father, I am of the same essence they are physically in humanity. When we say that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the same essence, not any less than in deity form than God the Father. Now you might say, well, okay, <laughs> that's your interpretation. Maybe it means that Jesus being the Son of God, he is somehow less than the true God the Father. Well, let me just throw in a verse here for you. Look at Isaiah. Look at again at the verse. In verse, 1 John, he says this, And we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son as, what's the next word there? As Savior of the world. If Jesus is God, then he does what God can only do, right? Look at Isaiah 43, verse 3. For I am the Lord your God. So who's speaking? There's no, quick, there's no trick answer. Who's speaking here? God speaking. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your, what's the next word there? Your Savior. See, God is the Savior. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came and lived that out. And so as we look at Jesus, we can't reduce him to some great teacher, some great prophet, some great example, some great person to admire that Jesus is, as C.S. Lewis said, he either is a liar, he is some crazy man lunatic, or he is truly Lord, that he is God. So this is not just some intellectual exercise. This is crucial. It not only matters that you believe, but what is it you believe? Do you believe there is such a thing as absolute truth? It matters what you believe. Second, do you believe that this Jesus truly came to this earth as a man, as a human. He came in the flesh so that he could die. Otherwise, he could not have died. And do you believe that he was not only fully man, but he was fully God? Because then he has no right to forgive us of our sins because only, only God can forgive us of the sins that we've committed against him. Which does relate to the next point. Do you believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for your sin? There's one of those two-bit words here in this particular letter, 1 John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, where he writes, and he himself, and this is in reference to Jesus, you look at the context, context, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. 
See, here it gets down to not only believing who Jesus is, but what has he done? And is that what he has done? Can it be applied to you? Now, the message of the Bible is that God is. And another familiar definition of an understanding of who God is, God is love. That God loves us. The most familiar verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God is more than being the self-existent one. God is more than simply being love. God is also filled with wrath against sin. And and that two-bit word there, he is the propitiation for our sins. What that simply means is he is the satisfaction of God's wrath against evil. The reason we so desperately need to have a relationship with God is not simply because God's going to make our life better, that he's going to give us you know, uh, joy and peace and all those good things. It's because we stand before a God in our, amongst our own merits as guilty because of our sin. And God is angry against evil. He hates sin. So much that he was willing to sacrifice his son to pay the price and penalty for our sins. And when we come into relationship with him, it's crying out for his mercy. We don't deserve his forgiveness. There's nothing that we can do to satisfy his anger against our evil in life. And we will never come into a real relationship with him until we understand our sin and what Jesus did on the cross for us. The Bible says he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who never experienced it, to be sin, to be evil on our behalf, that we could become right in God's eyes before him. And until you come to the point of realizing that God is, and that God is angry against our sin, my sin, your sin. And the only way to be rescued from that is to put our complete confidence in Him. Then we are still in our sins and we are guilty before God. And John is pleading with them to get it. This is not something that you want to be out of the loop. The doctors are keeping important information from you. Jesus is the great physician. He he wants to bring healing. But healing never happens until you recognize the disease. He is sufficient for your sin. And you can deny that or accept it and plead for God's mercy to be applied to you. Now John was... We're going to see some other hard things Jesus said through John in a minute. But but John wanted to make it plain and clear. Well, then how do I get in on this? And you could put it this way. Do you believe in Jesus truly? And is he in your life? I've got one verse there, but let's turn to 1 John 5. If you have your Bibles. 1 John 5, 11 through 13.
and this is the testimony that God has given us His Son. And has given us eternal life, and His life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And then some translations go on and say, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And what's important is we think about belief, it's always in the present tense there. It's not in the past tense. It's, it's not looking back. So, well, yeah, I remember that time I, I, I prayed a prayer and I believed in Jesus. Where's your faith now? Well, I don't, I'm not sure exactly where I am with God. Well, if it's not in the present tense, then you better be very concerned that it ever really was in the past. Because it's an ongoing relationship with Jesus that matters. That you continue to believe in his name. And, and the thing is, it, it's very simple and clear. Do you have the Son of God living in your life? Are you putting your confidence and trust that He is the truth? That He did come as a man so that He could die for us? That He truly and fully is God? That when He died on the cross, He died in our place and paid the penalty for our sins, and He wants to live in us? And that we just desperately need him to live in us. In most settings, what preachers do, they give the invitation at the end. But let me give it right now. For some of you, you're still on the outside looking in. And if that is true, then God's wrath against sin will be placed upon you in eternity. But he came to rescue. That's what it means to be a savior. But you're going to have to admit your need this morning and say, I, I, don't, I don't want to live for myself any longer. I want to live for him. And I want him to deal with my sin. I truly believe that he paid the penalty for my sin and rose again. I, I want to commit. I, want to com- I don't want to be I don't want to on the fence any longer. I want to give my life to him. And just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if that is where you're at right now, on the outside looking in, don't stay a moment longer in that condition. Bow with me in prayer. Dear Lord, any time in a place like this with just the number of people that, that are listening to your word, that there are people who are on the outside. And they're always waiting for something. But Father... We never know how long this life is going to be. Father, I just want to communicate the message in a very clear way. And if there's someone on the outside this morning, might they pray this prayer and meet in their heart and receive the gift only you can give. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I know I've done things, said things, involved in things that dishonor you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person on the inside. I believe you died and paid the penalty for my sin. I commit today to follow you and to to love you and to 
do through your spirit everything you want me to do and be. Come to my life right now. And I believe you will. In Jesus' name, amen. And when we give our life to Jesus, it, it, God answers that prayer as we, in the sincerity of our life, in the commitment of our life, decide to follow Him. But as you know, it, it's just the first step in the journey of following after God. And, and as we think about passing the tests, it, it's not just the doctrinal test. There's a, there's a moral test and a love test. Not to put us on a performance basis before God, but to really test, is this really real? Because we can all do things superficially. We can all do things which looks, looks nice on the outside, but there's nothing really on the inside. And so John desperately cries out to them to consider, is your life real with God? And that's, that's the moral test. Look with me as we get through some scripture fairly rapidly. What's the moral test? The moral test is, what are you doing with what God has said? Or to put it this way, do you consistently obey His commandments? Well, look what he says in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. Uh, I also like what verse 6 says as well in that particular chapter, where in 1 John 2, 6 he says this, he who abides in me ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And, and so as we think about becoming a child of God, it's all about changing ownership. Now, he, he dictates for us how our life ought to be directed. And, and we want to do what he has told us to do. Uh, another way to put that is, uh, what's your relationship now with sin? Jesus deals with the penalty of sin. He gives us the power over sin. But what's our attitude towards sin? And to put it this way, we need to very, be very carefully putting on a positive. Are we obeying His commandments? On the negative part, are we sinning less? And that's what I have in the outline. This part. Do you sin less now that you become a child of God? The Bible tells us what we ought to do in relation to our sin. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the things that happens when you become a Christian is that now you're more aware of sin than you ever were in your life. <laughs> now, now things you, that never bother you because these might not be things that, that honor God or these might be things that hurt other people. You go, man, I, I never even thought about that before. And God makes us more aware of our sin. And, and when that happens, when we, we fall into that, now we confess it. We just simply acknowledge to God that, that what we've done is wrong and now we don't want to do that by His grace again. And, and so... Throughout our life, we'll be confessing our sin, confessing our sin, confessing our sin, because we're made aware of those things in our life that don't honor Him. And by that, we'll become people who sin less. Now, the, the interesting thing about that is we'll be more aware about our sin, so we're thinking we're sinning more. But we'll actually be sinning less in some areas because God will begin to change us and transform us. And He'll transform some other things in our life. 1 John 2, 1 makes it very clear that... And some people in the, in the Christian world think you reach a point where you never sin this side of heaven. That never happens. In fact, one acknowledgement that is 1 John 2, 1. He says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But then he goes on and says this, And if anyone sins, implying that we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
So when we're feeling miserable because of our sin, he said, look it, you have a lawyer pleading your defense before God and saying, hey, he's one of my child, children. And, and he's doing all right. He, he's, he's just moving along the journey. Remember that very familiar hymn, Amazing Grace? Raise your hand like you've heard it at least once or twice before, okay? Uh, the, uh, the writer of that is John Newton. And John Newton was a slave trader, slave trader and uh, was involved in all kinds of things in, in very uh, evil pursuits. And then God dramatically brought him to faith in Christ. But because of all the things he had done, he was just overwhelmed by his guilt. And then he began to become overwhelmed by God's grace. And that was the product of that sin, of that, that song. And it's an amazing thing. If, we, if people who have no relationship with God sing that song all the time, but I wonder if they ever listen to the word, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Uh, these are people who actually, if they sing that song and mean it, they have to acknowledge they were wretched, they were lost, and they were blind. Well, John Newton, after he, after he wrote that, he, he was having family devotions, the story goes, as far as with his, with his kids and his, his wife, and he was talking about his life and how it had changed. And that's really what the moral test is. To, is, is your life changing? And this is, this is what he wrote. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. Yet I can truly say I'm not what I once was. And then he goes on and says, And truly, by the grace of God, I am not what I will be. See, that's our attitude towards sin. Our attitude towards sin is, is we recognize that that but by the grace of God we are guilty and are facing an eternal penalty. But because of God's grace, He's changed us. And we're not where we were. We're not where we need to be. But by God's provision, we'll get there in terms of living out our faith. And a person whose life has not been changed, no matter how many times he's prayed that prayer, that prayer was not a prayer of faith. Because we only really believe those things we actually do. You know, there is a doctrine out there that nice people get to heaven. Well, let's be honest. There, there are a lot nicer people in this world than me. <laughs> and if I was getting to heaven because of how nice I was, even after receiving Christ, then I, I, I wouldn't make it. And you wouldn't either. And we need to recognize even though some people might be nicer than we are, the issue is, what do you believe in? And who do you believe in? And who is, who is bridging that gap between how good you are and how good you need to be? And that's why the doctrinal test is always first. The, the lifestyle change, the moral test, the nice test, is an affirmation that God has changed you. And he's changing you from where you were. But it's never a ticket to heaven based on how good you are. Because no one is ever good enough. Two tests. Doctrine test. Who are you believing in? And who have you surrendered your life to? The moral test is, has God changed you? And you don't have to compare yourself with other people, but do you see God working in your life? 
And then thirdly, the love test. And there's really two love tests there. One is vertical and one is horizontal. Do you love God and you love people? In 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We know that the greatest commandment in all the world, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the reason we don't have to fear our future, and that's the whole idea there, perfect love casts out fear, is because God's love for us has assured us that we will experience God's love forever. And because of that, because we are so enamored with God's love for us, then we just in turn love Him. You ever at times feel like you're not loving God enough? How how can I just how can I just bring that up in my life? How can I just get that to happen? The way you and I love God more is to remember how much God loves us. It doesn't happen just by you know know, pulling pulling it out of somewhere. It comes by just recognizing how much He loves you, and because of that, you'll love Him in return. But where John is burdened is that it's one thing to say you love somebody you can't see, but how about loving the people you can see? And so it's not only loving God, it's loving people. And this is where where John just kind of reverts back to his old life. He he was known as a disciple of love, but he's also known before he was a Christian as the son of sons of thunder. He's the one who wanted to call down fire upon people when they didn't do things he liked. He said, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a what? Liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he does not see? And this is the command we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. There's probably no more hurtful thing to tell somebody is, is you're a liar. Because basically, I can't trust you at all. And, and so he doesn't mince words here. Don't tell me you love God. And you could say, no, God. You could say, believe in God. You could say, am a Christian if you don't love God's people. And so, really, the call of 1 John is a call to say, hey, make sure your faith is genuine. Make sure it's real. Make sure you're not holding on to something that's happened in the distant past that makes no difference right now in your present. Because if that's true, doubt the past and acknowledge what's true in the present. Because it's going to dictate what's going to happen to you in the future. What is it you believe? It's not only that you believe, but it's who you believe in. It's the doctrinal test. There is truth, and there is that which is false. There is Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, who paid a price on a cross. Do you believe that fully can be applied to you? And is Jesus living in you? That's the doctrinal test. The moral test, is is it made a difference? If it hasn't made a difference, then don't don't just say what you believe. It doesn't matter because you only truly believe what you live out. And then thirdly, if if you feel it's all about rules and regulations, it's, it's got to demonstrate an attitude as well. And that's why, you know, faith and hope and love, but the grace of Jesus' love is, is right there because you've got to love whom God has loved. And love the one who has loved you first. 
What's the point this morning? Did you pass the test? And this is, this is, this again, not to put us on some kind of a performance basis, but it's, it's just clear, straightforward words from a, a disciple of Jesus who was in the inner circle. Jesus had 12. Among the 12, there was three. Among the three, there was maybe one who was right at the heart of Jesus. And as he ended his life here, he was just pleading for people to get it, to not get out of the loop, to not be a person who, who, who thought he knew but didn't really know. It matters what you believe and who you believe in, what is it you believe about him. It matters that your life has been changed. It matters that you really love God and love people. Let's pray. Father, as John wrote this for us, he was both tender and tough at the same time because he just cared about those he was sharing the Word of God with, that he wanted them to really get it. Not that he would discourage them, but that he would lift them up to true faith and a true ongoing relationship with the living God. Father, again, might we be a people that love people into the kingdom, might we be a people that, that are really honest with those we care about and say, don't, don't stand on the fence. Don't sit on the fence. Make a clear choice of living for the one who came for you. Father, as we continue to worship, might we, in a fresh way, express our love to you. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.